All right, walking in the light. The title for this morning's teaching, it really interests me. It comes out of the text we're going to read. The title for this teaching is, Do Not Believe Every Spirit. Those are John's words, not, not mine. So we're going to look at 1 John 4, 1 to 6. Get a Bible and let's study these words together. 1 John 4, 1 to 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. So there's the title of the teaching. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. That's the spirit of Antichrist. Four, little children. You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. That's an interesting sentence. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Not everybody's going to like what the church has to say. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So so the the big idea here is there's a a, a verifying, a validating imprint that the Holy Spirit kind of stamps into our beings. John introduced this subject in the last verse of of chapter 3 where he said, whoever keeps his commandments abide in him and he in them. And by this we know that he abides in us. Look, by by the spirit whom he has given us. So the spirit, the spirit, somehow he he ties the work of Jesus to our minds and hearts in a deep way. That's what we're going to study later on. We know certain things, 4-6. We know, we know truth and error. When the Holy Spirit comes, we know truth and error in a way we didn't see them before. So, so, so the Holy Spirit, what he does is he establishes a love for divine truth in our minds, in our hearts. He establishes a, a love so it's not the, it's not a mental increases your IQ, but he gives you a love for truths that you didn't love before. And he exposes the emptiness of things you used to treasure. The things talked about in, in uh, 2.16, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride in possessions. When the Holy Spirit comes, he gives you a love for divine truth in Christ Jesus. And he makes things that once looked important, he makes them look ridiculous. That's how you know when the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. And so John gives, here's what we're going to be looking at. John gives two tests for the Spirit's presence and activity in those six verses from chapter 4 that we read. Two tests. 
The first has to do with the Spirit's presence in the message, the message of the teacher. And the second has to do with the Spirit's presence in the response of the hearer. So those are the two things that John's going to talk about. First, is the Holy Spirit behind the message being sawn into my mind by the teacher? Beloved, do not believe every spirit. 1 John 4, 1 to 3. Don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see, to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets, see, these are the people giving the messages now. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. A lot of messages out there. A lot of prophets. Some are true, some are false. A lot of churches. Some are true, some are false. A lot of messages on TV. Some are true, some are false. How are you going to know? By this, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Okay, so you can recognize a spiritual person, a person in whom the Holy Spirit is at work. That's what I mean. It's not, I don't mean it's kind of Oprah spirituality. The work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. You can tell when it's there by the way this person refuses to believe what isn't true. So secondly, the Holy Spirit is at work in the heart of the hearers of the message. Is it being heard in a way that is honoring to the Holy Spirit? That's what he talks about in 4 to 6. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know, by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So, the first test looks like, looks at the Holy Spirit in the teacher. How do we know which teacher to listen to? The second looks at the work of the Holy Spirit in the hearer, in the listener, in the response. What's the spiritual response? Let's look at these two things, okay? So point number one. If the Spirit of God is at work in any teaching, okay, in the teaching now, if the Spirit of God is at work in any teaching, he confirms the proper place of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. That's the important part. Four, two. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. So, so John says, here's what the Holy Spirit does. He specifically, he confirms that Christ Jesus has come in the flesh. Please note, 
This is not a belief that Jesus existed somewhere in the flesh on earth at some time, but that he came, all right? That he came in the flesh from somewhere else. It's the incarnation that we're talking about. God the Son in glory coming in the flesh. So that short phrase, it tells us a great deal, dispels myths. John is is zooming in. He's not panning out. God has worked his saving will, not generally in many revelations, in many ways, but specifically and decidedly in one manifestation. And it's Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Let me tell you why I think John labors it and why it might be more relevant today than even then when John wrote it. There is something in all of us. It's, it's, it's in our culture. There is something in all of us that likes to think we are better people for being willing to listen to more options of spiritual journeys. That we're more tolerant that we're more open-minded. We're the better for it. So confining, zeroing in, that's bad. That's dogmatic. Broadening, opening up, that's good. That's loving. John disagrees. This is your Bible speaking. He says, he says we need to delete voices that don't specifically center on the uniqueness of Jesus coming in the flesh. So in other words, there's nothing virtuous, nothing godly about just being open to any voice claiming divine truth. The clear command of God's word in our text, it really needs to be heeded today by Christ's followers. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't expose yourself to everyone who uses spiritual lingo. Don't think you're pleasing God just because you let God be the message and you be the sponge. There's, there's nothing humble. There's nothing wise about refraining from judgment in spiritual matters. So John says, listen, you test the spirits. God isn't going to test them for you. Don't believe until you've tested. And here's that test. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Oh boy, Pastor Don, that seems like too big a job for me. How am I supposed to test everything? I never went to seminary. What am I looking for? How can I know? Well, when the Spirit of God is at work there will be brought to your heart a confessing that for two, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. It's not just a knowledge, it's a confession. It's a, it's a buying into, it's a owning. John says the first thing the Holy Spirit does is he will fortify a bolder confessing ownership, a more proud pronouncement, a commitment to the implications of the coming of Jesus, God the Son, in the flesh. The implications. The implications that God the Son came in the flesh. Let me just give you a couple while we're on the topic. So, A. Here's what it means to 
to confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. A, I recognize the unique nature of Jesus as God the Son. Notice in 4.2 it says, he came in the flesh. That's the important word, came. Came from where? We know where we come from. Where did he come from? Before you were conceived in the womb of your mother, well, you just weren't anywhere else. But Jesus was. He, he came in the flesh. He didn't originate in the flesh. John says, before he came to earth, look at these words, John's gospel, the word was, where was he? Well, he was with God. And was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Why is John making so much of this? What's at stake here? Well, I think there are two uh, cornerstone issues involved in John's phrase, Jesus came in the flesh. The, the Spirit always points to the uniqueness of this revelation of Jesus Christ and the finality, uniqueness and finality of this revelation of Jesus Christ. This is always the case. Anytime, anytime. So here's the deal. How will we recognize? What will the Spirit show me to recognize the true message? Anytime you have anyone else brought alongside Jesus or anything else made necessary over and above Jesus, you got the spirit of Antichrist. Here's another implication of Jesus coming in the flesh. B, if the Holy Spirit is at work, he will help to establish the purpose of Jesus coming in the flesh in my Christian experience. So I'm not now just talking about recognizing Jesus came and died for our sins. That's great. Most Christians know that, understand it, agree with it. But there's, there is more to it. There's, there's the ongoing application of Jesus' death and resurrection to my life. That's what John is talking about. I have, uh, forgive me for reading a quote here. It's just such an important one. I have a great old commentary on 1 John. Oh, years and years and years ago. Robert Candlish talks about this phrase. Jesus come in the flesh and explains it. Listen to these words. You can follow this. It's not real complicated. He says this. His coming in the flesh is his consenting to be crucified for us. Okay, most of us understand that. The spirit in us, confessing him as come in the flesh, makes us willing to be crucified with him. That's the application, see? The Spirit can be seen at work as you identify yourself with Him in His coming in the flesh. The Spirit acknowledges, or better, listen, unites me with the same purposes and heart of the Savior. He was of God, supremely on the side of the interests of God. It was the zeal of God's house that ate him up. It was the doing of God's will, the finishing of God's work 
that was his meat. It was the glorifying of his father and the finishing of the work which his father gave him to do that ministered to his satisfaction at the last farewell supper. That's how, that's how you witness to the spirit of God in any teaching. That's how you confess, bear witness to Christ come in the flesh. He died for me and I am crucified with Christ. That's bearing witness to the truth. The, the, the goal of spiritual truth is to, it's to reproduce in my life the demonstration that, that every molecule of Don Horbin is captivated by the truth that Jesus came in the flesh. It's not just that my mind knows it. It's not just doctrine. It is that, but it's not just that. It's that my whole being conforms to it. I die daily, Paul said. Ponder what Jesus did when he came in the flesh. It's not just one thing. It's several things tied together. He came in the flesh to live in the flesh and to die in the flesh and to be raised in the flesh and to ascend back to the Father in the flesh. He is still in the flesh. He's not a ghost. So what does Paul mean when he says he was crucified with Christ? Paul was alive when he wrote those words. He wasn't dead. What does Paul mean when he says he had been raised with Christ? How could Paul say he had been raised when he hadn't even died yet? So when the Spirit comes, confesses, Christ come in the flesh. All of this, all of this in, is involved. He, he, he labors to make me think this through. Paul tells us, you know these famous words, don't you? I have been, I have been crucified with Christ. Big words, these. No longer I who live. Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, he's still alive here on earth. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. You know what that is right there? That's Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. Paul says, I'm thinking this through all the time. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification were through the law, remember I said adding anything to Christ? Paul recognized that. Then Christ died for no purpose. Paul said he participated not just in Christ's death, but in his resurrection. Look at these words from Colossians 3, 1 to 6. Follow along in your Bible. This, this is, these are God's words. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds. This isn't something God does. This is something you do. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died. There's dying with Christ. Here he's talking about being raised with Christ. Here he talks about dying with Christ. All of this is what the Holy Spirit does when I talked about the application of truth to our hearts. You have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, now he's talking about the second coming. See, you think about all these things. Christ's death, resurrection, ascension, second coming. All of this is involved in confessing Christ has come in the flesh. That's what the Holy Spirit does. We're still in that phrase. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, means that if you're thinking about this, here's what you'll do now. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, people don't talk about it. It's right there. The wrath of God is, it's coming. He's not talking about the result of your sins in life. There's a lot of teaching along those lines. That, that God's wrath is just, is just, well, you reap what you sow. And so that's how God's wrath gets manifested. Paul, Paul's not talking about that. He's talking about wrath in the character of God being exercised in judgment. So try, we've covered a lot of turf here. I know that. Try and remember where we are. John tells us we can see the Spirit's presence when the glorious truth of Jesus come in the flesh is given its full weight. That's how you recognize the Spirit's presence in a message. It'll focus on these things. Look at point number two now, the second lesson in this passage. Remember, first test has to do with recognizing the presence of the Spirit in the teaching. Second test has to do with recognizing the presence of the Spirit in the hearing. What marks a spiritual hearing of truth? So here we are now, studying God's Word. How do I know if I'm responding the way the Holy Spirit wants me to respond to his word. Point number two, spiritual teaching will be embraced by spiritual people. Worldly teaching will be embraced by worldly people. Sometimes, you know, I'm thinking that if, that if uh, John or Jesus or Paul, I thought many times, if they were alive today, we read their stuff and we pray over it and we try and live it out. If, if Jesus were alive today and posted all the things he said in the New Testament on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, he'd be banned. They'd take him off. They would never let Jesus say the things he said in the New Testament on social media. It would be not allowed. It's the same with verses like, verses like this, four, four to six. Little children, you are from God and have overcome. This interests me. I want to talk about it in a minute. Overcome them, the plural part. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So I would have thought it would be overcoming him, you know, the devil in the world. But it doesn't seem to be. Five. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. Popularity is not a very good measurement of being an effective communicator of Christ. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. 
Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know, here it is now. I said that the, here's the test part. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Spirit of error, the whole world will listen to you. You'll have a huge audience. Spirit of truth, not many people. Not many people. So whether on the side of godliness or worldliness, message and audience will always find each other. That's what John is saying. If you, if you want to dance around a golden calf, there will always be an Aaron ready to build it. So, so the world, says John, it, it devours its own kind of values. The world, the culture devours its own ideas. John's, John's already identified the content of the world's message. For all that is in the world, desires of the flesh. Those aren't necessarily, don't think just of, of immoral things, but just the things that cater here to me. My rights. The desires of the eyes. That's the visible. The things I can see and have. Now, pride and possessions. It's not from the Father, but from the world. So, the world's message centers around getting things, having things, enjoying things. Self-centeredness. Power, image, pleasure, comfort. They are worshipped above the Creator. And then John tells us something really striking about about another kind of people. They're like aliens. People who know and love the voice of God, the work of the Holy Spirit. He says says they're, they're very, very different. Strikingly different. And I I want to pick out something very unusual. I, I mentioned it a minute ago as we wrap up this teaching. Look again. I know you've read this a few times. Just be patient. Look at this one more time. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in the world is greater than he, for he who is in you, sorry, is greater than he who is in the world. So this is the spirit of Christ. This is the enemy, Satan, who is in the world. They are from the world. They follow this. That's these, that's the them that he's talking about here. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. They have the taste for it. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So the idea here, it isn't too complicated, really. There will be people right in the church. John's writing to Christians. They, they'll desire a, a, a broader, a little more inclusive, little less demanding concept of saving truth than is going to be found in Jesus Christ alone with nothing else added. This, this kind of openness, it's very common in religious circles today. And then, and then comes out that striking idea in that fourth verse, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 
He who is in you, greater than he who is in the world. I know those words. So I'd expect John to say, because the one who is in me is greater than the one who is in the world, I would expect him to say, we have overcome him. Only he doesn't say that. He says, we have overcome them, 1 John 4, 4. And I think what John means to say is, 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 is really powerful, quite pungent. If I'm going to give proper place to Jesus Christ come in the flesh, incarnation, death, resurrection, ascension, if I'm going to give exclusive, exclusive saving place to Jesus Christ come in the flesh, and I'm going to give the Holy Spirit my mind, my heart, my decisions, my prayers, and, 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 and Jesus is going to rule my finances and my television viewing and my video streaming and my Bible study and my education and my marriage and my business and my worship. If I'm going to do all of that in a way that really reveals the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, then John says, I'm going to have to overcome them. And the them he's referring to are all the people I know who will pay a certain degree of loyalty, a certain amount of lip service in Jesus' name and pray and do a few things, but don't honor Jesus when it costs. John says, if, you, if you're not prepared to overcome them, that kind of commitment in those kind of people that might be all around you, then John says, then you can't honor the Holy Spirit either. You can't honor the Holy Spirit till you overcome them. Wow. Wow. And here's why that's true. Odds are, I will rub shoulders, even in the church, I will rub shoulders with a lot of people who are not all that serious about honoring Jesus when it's costly to do so. I mean, they say they love him, true enough. They sing the songs, they raise their hands. But in spite of their words and their upbringing, they really love their cultural fit more than they love Jesus Christ come in the flesh. And if you want to honor Jesus... You're going to have to confront them. You're going to have to overcome them. And, and John says, John says, this is the test of the work of the Spirit in your heart, responding to the truth. This is the test of the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why in his closing sentence, John doesn't say, this is how we know truth and error. That's not what he says. He says something much bigger. He says, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. There's, there's, a, there's an all-encompassing commitment in either camp. There's more going on than just the physical and what meets the eye. So this is John's way. We know this by the spirit of truth. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John's saying, we're not talking about one or two little issues here. We're talking about the tone of your life. 
There's a lot at stake. It's, it's the spiritual direction. It's, it's a comprehensive commitment. The whole spirit of your being is revealed in whether or not you pay the price of overcoming them in following Christ. I don't have to proclaim error or subscribe to some obviously false doctrine in order to be wrong in in the spirit of error. The spirit of error, notice, small s. It'll just sort of claim my heart by default if I'm not deeply committed to Christ. I drift into it rather than choose into it. I, I can simply lose just by rubbing off, the rubbing off of the values of those around me. You're not going to get a lot of help on most of the programs. You're not going to get a lot of help in most of the things you read. You're not going to get a lot of help from Netflix. It's not by accident that Paul speaks deep into the heart of these would-be followers of Jesus. And he tells them not just to refuse intellectual, doctrinal error, but he he heightens their awareness of this this, uh, relentless, invisible, moral squeeze of the culture around us. Romans 12, 2. Don't Don't be conformed to this world. So, that's a big text. Let, let the beauty and the lordship of Jesus, let it, let it set your soul against everything that isn't of Christ. You can't be neutral. You can't drift. What or who is the power of Christ overcoming? in your circle of influence and friends. Don't be shaped by the spirit of error. Far too much at stake. And the Holy Spirit, he labors to help us to see it clearly. Do not believe every spirit. That's the title. The spirit in the messenger. Look for Jesus Christ. Come in the flesh. The incarnation. His death resurrection, ascension, all in the flesh, and the application of that to my life. And in response, how do you respond to the truth? How do you know when the Holy Spirit is helping you respond? He helps you overcome all who would pull you back from a deep manifestation of the Lordship of Jesus in your life. He helps you overcome them. Let's pray that God helps us to all do that as we follow him today. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Only your word is uh, bold enough, divine enough, to shatter faulty but proud human reasonings. And so we embrace it. We embrace your word. Let it claim deeper and deeper into the territories of our minds and hearts and values and habits that Jesus would be Lord of all. In your name I pray and I thank you. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church.
love one another.